In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't realize I drifted all the way over there when I was praying. <laughs> you know, welcome everybody. And uh, it's good to be here. Like Phil said, we missed Wednesday. You know, I, I had to double check and make sure I, I did say that there was no service Wednesday. You know, because sometimes it's easy to forget when we get into a routine. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So hopefully everybody had a good turkey day. <laughs> and hopefully everybody ate well. Amen. Because, you know, we, we give thanks, but it's all right to eat. <laughs> it's all right to eat, you know. Um, yeah. So glory to God. Amen. Amen. So, you know, uh, I was sharing with Phil before service that I had a whole nother message prepared. And then, you know, I, I struggled with it when I was preparing it. And then uh, now I know why, because the Lord switched everything up. So and, and what I'm going to talk about tonight, I, I actually meant to talk about not this Wednesday because we didn't have service, but the Wednesday before. But I didn't make it and had to join us, you know, through, uh, what was it? Uh, FaceTime. Yeah. FaceTime. <laughs> so, um, but I didn't get to discuss it, but I, I guess it wasn't meant because here we are, we're going to discuss this and we're not going to finish it today. Right. So, and the reason why, you know, it was on me because we've been going through Corinthians and obviously the last two chapters we, we talk, you know, we see about judgment and we see that, you know, Paul wrote in, uh, I believe it was chapter six about uh, basically excommunicating, you know, brother or so-called brother. Out, out of the body, right? And, you know, and we just, we, we, we have to be careful sometimes. You know, yeah, we, you know, we're the judge what goes on in the body, but we have to be careful sometimes because what happens is it'll be easier for us to sometimes point the fingers at other believers, right? We, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about sanctification today. And uh, I, I would have never thought the Lord gave me as much as he gave me. So we'll see how all this goes and we'll see what point we, we stop at. But, uh, you know, we, we see in churches that we have like what's called like uh, new members classes, you know, and if we have baptism, we may have a baptismal class. right? But one thing we don't see too often is a new believers class. And, and, and it, 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 it's vital. So even when I reflect back to when I got saved um, years ago and the church that I joined at that time with, that we were part of was uh you know new life christian church in ledger connecticut and the pastor had a, a, a new believers class and i was in and it, it lasted a few weeks and then i came out of it and sometimes i would say to my wife i said you know what he should be teaching this before the whole congregation because i'm pretty sure some of these people probably don't know this and i can't remember at what point i, I you know i got the class but um but it was pretty insightful right and, and one of the things we we as churches, we don't teach that, and and sometimes we can do the new believer a disservice when we don't teach that. Because what happens? We get saved, right? And everything's good, right? We we're happy, we're joyful. You know, some of us may cry, some of us may shout, some of us may not show any emotion, right? But we're good, and then everything looks good. We're loving now. You know, we've been set free from what you know, drugs, alcohol, we don't have no lustful thoughts anymore, and we're we, we, we are just free, and we're good, and then all of a sudden, what happens? A week, or two weeks, or a month, just everybody's different. 
Now we start to get old thoughts start to come back, right? Because there's a saying, right? A leopard doesn't change its spots, right? And, and the reason why I say we do new believers disservice in that is because even when we may lead somebody to the Lord or whether we're outside the church, whether we're inside the church, once they get to that point, they may think that they're not saved anymore, right? But they are saved, right? Because there's something we all go through. And, and, it, and it's important for that because basically, as we go through Corinthians, you know, y'all, y'all heard me say already that that's basically the modern church, what we see in Corinthians and what we, what we have seen just far. And we're only what, about a quarter through of the book. Right. And um, we just have to be careful that we don't point the fingers at some of our brothers and sisters and saying, well, basically, we have to understand that there's a difference between sin and sinning. There's a difference. Because guess what? As born again believers, we're all going to sin. As long as we're in this body, we're all going to we're going to sin at some point or another. But the grace and mercy of God says what? In, in 1 John 1 and 9, that if we sin, what? We're to confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Right? So when we see in what was it? Chapter 6, where... The brother, Paul, sure, he kept sinning. He, he continued to sin, sin, sin. So Paul says what? Put him out. Right? So we, we, we had to be mindful of that. So basically we have to discern those things. All right, so let's start out at uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. And real quick, the sanctification is God's act of making his people holy, unique, and set apart through the blood of Christ. Sanctification is God's act of making his people holy, unique, and set apart through the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 8. All right. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. Very familiar text. I'm sure we didn't read it. We didn't heard it preached. All right. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So let's start right there in those first two verses. So verse one, like I said, familiar text tells us that we are free from the guilt of sin. As born again believers, we are free from the guilt of sin. And when we come into churches, we have no problem in hearing that, right? Because even when you, you hear people teach on grace and God's mercy, they come to this verse, right? Because we're free from the guilt, and we, we're good on teaching this verse. What we're not good at is bringing in verse 2, right? So not only verse 1 tells us we are free from the guilt of sin, verse 2 tells us that what we we are free from no we have the power to overcome sin and that's where we fail sometimes because we have Christians who fail to realize that they have the power to overcome sin now right because really in, in this sanctification process it, it's really three things that help us in our walk to be successful our will the Bible and the Holy Spirit our will, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? No matter how much of the Holy Spirit we have in us, he is not going to override our will. So if we decide 
that, hey, if the Holy Spirit says, don't go there, but we decide we're going to go there, guess what? Holy Spirit is not going to stop us. We're going to choose to go. So that's our will. So he's never going to override our will like that, right? So we have to understand that if we have our will in place, right, and we have our mind set to, to do God's will, and we have the word, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We could be successful in this walk. Because what, what happens is this. There is going to come a time where we're going to reach the ultimate sanctification. We're going to have glorified bodies. Guess what? We're not going to have wicked thoughts. We're not going to have a, a desire to sin because we're going to be set free from the bondage of sin totally. However, until we get to that time, we have what's called, what most theologians call, progressive sanctification. So we're working our way towards that. Right? So now, our salvation is instantaneous. Soon as we believe, soon as we give our hearts to the Lord, it's instantaneous. Right? But our sanctification is not. Right? It's not. So everybody's sanctification process is going to be different. Right? It doesn't matter if you've been saved for one month. What? One month. One month. One month <laughs> or five years. Right? You could be saved for five years and still struggle and be in bondage. And guess what? You can get it right within your first couple of months. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. But you can still be walking in victory towards God's holiness. Amen. In that. Right? Because I think back to when I got saved, even in that church, and I shared it a while back before. Guess what? Everybody in there got the same message. Everybody in there didn't go through the same sanctification process. Right? Really? And another way of looking at sanctification is our spiritual maturity. Right? Our spiritual maturity. Because we have some immature Christians. Right? And we, we saw that in chapter 3 of Corinthians. We, we have Christians who are carnal. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here shortly. All right, so let's keep going. Verse 3. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Uh, I forgot to mention something about verse 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1, excuse me. So, it, there is therefore now no condemnation, right? So we know if we sin, we make a mistake. God doesn't condemn us for that as born-again believers, right? God convicts, right? God convicts. So now, when we experience that conviction, y'all heard me say, when that cutting comes, now we can confess our sins, right? And then he forgives us of our sins. So God convicts, but the devil condemns. The devil brings condemnation. But here's the thing what we do as believers. We, when we sin, we enter in condemnation because we condemn ourselves. But when our brother or sister sins, we convict them. And when we can't do that because it's the word of God that's supposed to convict. So even if our brother and sister sin, guess what? We can help them along. We can counsel with them. We can talk to them. But ultimately, it's the word of God. It's God that's going to convict them. But we got a habit of pointing the finger and convicting them and saying, hey, they're doing this. They're doing that. That's not our job. Amen. Right. So we want to look at <laughs> what is it? The 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 moat in there. But we don't want to look at ourselves sometimes. See, and then when we sin, we, we, we keep it quiet. We cover it up. 
Right? But as soon as we recognize somebody else's sin, we want it broadcasted. Right? And, and we can't do that. Because, again, we have to recognize the difference between someone that sins and someone that is sinning. Right? Now, if they're sinning, that's a whole different story. Paul tells us what we need to do. Right? To protect the body and also protect that, that person there in hopes that they will repent and come back to the body. Right? We're to put them out. Right? But we have to be careful of that. That we don't point the fingers at our brothers and sisters in Christ in that. All right. All right. So. I'll read verse 3 and 4 again. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, walking according to the spirit means that the course, the direction, the progress of one's life is directed by the Holy Spirit. Walking according to the Spirit doesn't mean now we're just exercising, we're doing all sorts of things in, uh, well, from the gifts of the Spirit is what I mean, right? But we're walking in obedience to the Holy Spirit because, again, it's our will, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And see, as long as we have those three things in the forefront of us, we can be good. Now, we can have two of those three things and we can still progress, but we're not going to progress as much as a brother and sister in Christ who has all three. Or you may have one and you're going to struggle. You can have two, you're going to struggle. Why? Because if you have the will, you have the Bible, but now you're going to do it out of your flesh because you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not submitting to the Holy Spirit, right? So as born again believers, we all have the, the Holy Spirit in us, but are we all submitting to the Holy Spirit? So let's, we'll come back to Romans 8. Let's go to uh, chapter 7. One chapter over. Verse 15. All right. Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 15. <clears throat> For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Verse 16. If then I do what I will not do, will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 18. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. There's a little tongue twister there. Alright? So, Paul wanted to do right here. Paul wanted to do right. Paul had knowledge of the law. But Paul is saying he had no power. So, because he had, he wanted to do right, he had the will, he had the knowledge, but he had no power. So he couldn't do right even though he wanted to do right. And this is where some believers find themselves. They're not surrendering to the Holy Spirit. They have a desire to do well. They have a knowledge because, yeah, they're in a good Bible-believing church that's teaching the Word, but they're not submitting to the Holy Spirit. So now this is why we have Christians who struggle with alcoholism. We have Christians who still struggle with drug addiction. We still have Christians who struggle with lust. 
Why? Because they're not submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because even when, before I got saved, I was drinking. But guess what? I had a will. Once I got saved, I had a will. I had the knowledge of the word. And then I surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So there wasn't a struggle for me. Although my brother and sister in Christ, who may have been in the same church, receiving the same teaching, struggled. Because they may have had a will. They definitely had the word because we were getting the same word, but they may not have been studying the word. And then again, they didn't surrender to the Holy Spirit. So even though we may, there was some of us that may have gotten saved at the same time, we went at different paces, right? Again, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved because you could be saved for four or five years and still struggling in your sanctification process. And you could be saved for six months and doing well. And then you may have that older saint that's going to say, oh, you're going to come to your point where you're going to struggle. Well, guess what? They may not. Because as long as they have a will, as long as they have the word, as long as they continue to submit, it doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but they're going to continue to progress. Yes. Right? And this is how we have to look at things. And so we, we can't point our fingers at our brothers and sisters who may be struggling in that. So we have to educate. Because really, a lot of Christians struggle because they don't know the word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They don't know the word. And it's actually scary because really there was a study done. And I'm sure it plus or minus a few points. Only 10 percent of Christians are reading the Bible every day. 10 percent. So that lowered after COVID to the 10 percent. I think it was like 12 or 14 percent before COVID. So you think about all these churches just in this country. 10 percent of Christians read their Bible every day. And I think for even once a year, it was only like 30 percent, 30 some percent. So now we see why so many Christians struggle and they fight upstream because they don't have a knowledge of the word. Right. And then if you go into a church and all you're getting is fluff, now you're really not going to get knowledge of the word. Right. Because guess what? No matter what, even if saved, born again, that person that's teaching us or teaching that new believer is vital, right? Because if they teach them some watered-down gospel, that's what they're going to believe, mm -hmm. right? So even when we moved here after a little while, I had to tell my wife, don't take it for granted the foundation we got back in Connecticut, yes. right? That, that foundation we got, the church when I was saved that, because when we got here, we were way more spiritually mature than a lot of pastors we came across, Jesus. right? So I was sitting up there, I had, I had opportunity, privilege to counsel with other pastors, wasn't licensed, wasn't, wasn't ordained, and these same pastors, and if I named their churches, you would know us, but I'm not going to do it because the meeting was confidential. At, well, how do you maintain your salvation? These are pastors. Some are part of mega churches around here. That's scary. Yes, it is. That's scary. Yes, it is. Okay? So again, so something was lacking between the will Knowledge of the word and the Holy Spirit. Something was lacking there for them to even ask me that. Because now, with them struggling as leaders, guess what? The congregation is going to struggle. See, so sometimes we got to be careful. 
right? Because they may be, that a brother and sister in Christ may be in that church, one of those churches, and, and they may not be getting the word. So, yes, we all have the Bible, but again, we all don't understand everything in the Bible. Again, this is why we have the fivefold ministry Amen. to help us in that. Amen. All right, so let's go back to Romans chapter 8. All right, uh, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So now when we surrender to the Holy Spirit, we can have a life of, of peace. Yeah. Right? We can be free. Doesn't mean everything's going to go our way. Amen. Right? But if we submit and we surrender to him, now there's not a struggle upstream as is if we had that carnal mindset. Yeah. Right? Because don't take for granted here that that carnal mindset is that sinner. No. First Corinthians chapter 3 talks about this carnal Christians. Paul describes it. Right? Those who are in envy. Right? Those who are in strife. Those who are in division, and what did Paul say? Some of you want to say, hey, I'm a part of Apollos, I'm a part of Cephas, I'm a part of Jesus, I'm a part of Paul. That's fleshly, right? So when we say those things, that goes against God. That's fleshly. Well, why does that go against God? Let's keep reading. All right, verse 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, no indeed can be. So, that word enmity means it's in opposition. Yes. Right? So, when we have that carnal Christian and they're struggling, it's because they're in opposition. So, God and the Holy Spirit saying, hey, go this way, yeah. but because they're carnal, they're going to struggle. So, it's like going against the, the stream. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying to do right, but they can't get it right. And they keep trying. And then we got count that pastor, the only one to do is counsel them. No, they need to be delivered. My God. Right? So what do I always say? You can't count. Well, never mind. I'm not going there because that's not where I want to go. <laughs> that's not where I want to go. Because I don't want to say that day that. No. All right. Verse 8. <laughs> so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So again, that corner mind. Where's our mindset? The will. Is our, is our desire to please God there? Or is our desire just to go through the motions? Right? Right? So, Paul gives us an easy way for us to determine if we're walking in the Spirit. Where is our mind? Are we thinking about carnal things all the time? Right? Because if we're thinking about carnal things, now we're not progressing. We're, we're, we're stagnant. And again, this is why we have so many Christians that say, well, yeah, I got saved, but I still struggle with this. I still struggle with that. Because you're missing the will, you're missing the Bible, the knowledge of the Bible, and you're missing the Holy Spirit. Something is missing. Because we don't have to struggle in that. God came to set us free and deliver us from that. But what happens is we get into this carnal mindset. We, we, we sit up under this prosperity teaching and all these other teachings. And now our mindset is stuck on the things of the flesh and not the spirit. So now, of course, those Christians are going to struggle. But it doesn't mean they're not saved. But they're going to struggle. 
over and over and over and over. And the thing, the sad part is they're trying to do right. They're trying to get right. But they're going to stay stuck, spiritually immature in that. Because guess what? Again, you can still be a Christian and still be carnal. And this is what we have to understand. Right? So everybody's not going to be spiritually mature in that. Now, is it God's desire for everybody to be spiritually mature? Yes. But we're all not going to be spiritually mature. And again, it has nothing to do with how long you've been saved. And here's an example. So when you look at the Corinthian church, all right, so we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Guess what? There were two other letters written that we don't have access to. There were a total of four, at least. So 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 5, tells us that Paul wrote a letter before 1 Corinthians. Right? But, watch this. So, Paul stayed at Corinth about one and a half to two years. So now that we get 1 Corinthians, that was four and a half to five years later. And they were still struggling with all this stuff. And Paul says, look, you are on milk. You should be on meat now. <laughs> Why? Because they're struggling upstream. And sometimes they did things out of ignorance. So when we read, I think it was at the end of chapter 6, and, they, and, and Paul was writing about the prostitution, they thought that was normal behavior because that was a normal behavior of Corinth. And Paul was saying no. Why? Because they didn't have a knowledge of the word. Or they chose not to apply it. Now, that was a church that, because sometimes when we, when, we, when we hear about Corinthians and, and people teach about, they're saying, oh, they were a new church. They were not a new church. By the time that letter got to them, it had been five years. Now, you want to know a church that we don't talk about, that had it together, and Paul only spent three weeks there? Thessalonica. The Thessalonians. So, I think it was in Acts 19 or 17. He made it to Thessalonica. So he went into the synagogue as his custom was. Spent three Sabbath days there teaching. And then guess what happened? Some believed, right? Some didn't. And those who didn't ran him out of town. Right? So now he goes out of town. He goes to Berea. And he gets to Berea and he says they're more noble. Why? Because they're studying, they're studying to see what Paul is saying is true. But here's the kicker. Three weeks in Thessalonica, right? Three weeks. Paul sends his right-hand man, Timothy, back there because he was concerned because they, they, he was concerned that he only spent a little time there. But guess what happens? We learn in first chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul, no, Timothy tells Paul, hey, you sent me back there, but they got it going on. They are so good that the other cities are bragging about their faith. And Paul only spent three weeks there. But now we got Corinth, who's been established for five years, and they're all jacked up. That's right. How do you explain that? But then we want to talk about, not we, some people want to talk about, oh, Corinth was a new, they were not a new church. But Thessalonica was. So it doesn't matter if they were a new church. Now you would think after five years, they should have it together. They should have it together. But they didn't. But three weeks. Three Sabbath days, Thessalonica had it together. Berea had it together. Think about that. The times, the cities that Paul spent less time at, they got it. They got it. And guess what? They received the gospel, Thessalonica and Berea, after Corinthians, after Corinth there. 
at least two years after Corinth did. And Corinth was still messing up. But it doesn't mean that they weren't saved. Because Paul's still talking to them as a church. But again, the Christians at Thessalonica, the Christians at Berea, they had a will, had a knowledge, and they surrendered to the Holy Spirit. All right, where were we at? Let's go back to 8, Romans 8, uh, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. So when we put to death the deeds to the body, this, this is forcing that sinful nature to go. It's not going to lead us. Right? Because now, we, we, again, we're surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Now our mind, again, going back up to... It's not going to be carnal. We're not going to be thinking about these things. So having a spiritual mindset doesn't mean everything is this angels here, demons here. That has nothing to do with it. It's surrendering to the Holy Spirit. Period. Because guess what? All those people that are super spiritual like that, guess what? They're sinning too. And they jacked up. But they're going to hide their sin. So you don't see that they're struggling with weakness. So Paul is saying here in these two verses here, not only are we saved by the Holy Spirit, guess what? We're to walk with Him. We're to walk with Him. So as long as we're walking with Him, and see, this is why so many Christians struggle because they don't, again, they don't surrender to the Holy Spirit. Again, they have a will. Some have knowledge, but they don't surrender to the, to the Holy Spirit. Who's doing that work? Because that's why God sent Him. Right? Yes, he sent them to, to keep us remembering the word, but that is their dunamis power. It has nothing to do with flowing in the gifts of the Spirit because guess what? The Holy Spirit can work through an unsafe person. Right. I, didn't, I didn't show that. God even said in the Old Testament, he used Nebuchadnezzar in Jeremiah when Nebuchadnezzar was, was, was doing witchcraft. He said, he's my servant who I use for my purpose. That's what God said. And guess who else he used? Judas. He was with the twelve when he sent the twelve out. And First Corinthians tells us the Holy Spirit gives gifts as he wills. Not as we will, That's right. but as he wills. So don't tell me you can operate out of gifts, but you can't walk in holiness and sanctification. Then you don't have the dunamis power. Because that is that power that keeps us. That is that power that sustains us. All right, let's keep going. Oh, man. I ain't even going to get to the Old Testament scriptures. All right. Uh, <laughs> did I read 12? Yes. I read 12 and 13? Yes. All right. I guess we will get to them. <laughs> All right. So what we have to understand is this. This is not just a, a New Testament process. Right? God was calling Israel in the Old Testament to be his people. But the problem was... Israel didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But guess what? God still expected them to walk and live right according to his standards. Yes. Right? But if they messed up, guess what? That's why 
they would have to sacrifice because Christ hadn't come yet. Right? So if they messed up, now they offer a sacrifice for their sins. Right? There was somewhere I wanted to go. Uh, all right, let's look at, uh, let's go to the Old Testament. Let's look at Leviticus 26. We're going to jump around here a little bit. All right, then after Leviticus, we're going to go to Exodus. All right, we're just going to read one verse here. Leviticus 26, verse 12. I will walk among you and be your God, and you should be my, my scriptures. So the scripture is basically, God is telling Israel, look, I want an intimate relationship with you. I want an intimate relationship with you. All right, let's go to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6 verse 7. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So Egypt is a re representation of the world. Right. Egypt is also a representation of our own sin nature. Right. So he's saying, look, I will take you. That word take actually means carry along. Right. So he's saying, look, I'm going to carry you. I'm going to carry you along. So remember, when Israel left Egypt, who led him? The Holy Spirit let him out. Right. He was in front of him and he was in the back of him. Right. Protecting him. Right. So same thing with us. He's going to carry us. He's going to lead us in our walk, in our journey to what? To that ultimate point of sanctification. He's not going to leave us for us to struggle in our flesh, because he doesn't want us to struggle in our flesh, but if we have a carnal mindset, we're going to struggle in the flesh. So why is that carnal mindset important? Because what did, e what did Israel do? When they left uh, Egypt, they started to murmur and complain, right? After a little while, they, started, they were happy. They were happy initially, right? Then they started to murmur and complain. Say, well, maybe we had it good back here, right? Now, fast forward that to the New Testament. Right. Fast forward that to us as believers. Right. We're happy when we get saved. Now we may struggle a little bit. Well, that was a little bit of fun when I was back out here, when I was doing this. Maybe that might not matter so much if I do this one. It's the same thing. See, we point the finger at Israel looking back at Egypt, but we're looking back at our sinful state. And see, God was like, look. Israel, I'm carrying you out. I want you to be my people. He's saying to the church, I'm carrying you out from the old sinful nation. That's why I sent my son. I want you to be my people. Israel rejected me, so now I'm taking you Gentiles. Us Gentiles. Right? So, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. I don't mean to be yelling. I'm just excited now. <laughs> God is good. <laughs> so Deuteronomy 28 verse 9. The Lord, will the, the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. Just as he sworn to you. If you keep 
the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. I'm going to read that again. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he sworn to you. So their relationship with God was not predicated on anything. Why? Because there was a promise way back when that they were going to be his people. Yes. So they didn't have to do nothing to earn their relationship. Just like when we come to our salvation, we don't have to do anything once we believe the gospel in the heart. There's no condition on it. There's no condition on it. All right? All right? So let's go back to that. Just as he sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, and walk in his way. So while their relationship was not predicated on anything, guess what? Their holiness, their sanctification was. Our holiness, our sanctification is predicated on our obedience and keeping his commandments. So if we choose not to keep his commandments, guess what? We're just like Israel. Right? We're just like Israel. Right? Because he's saying if, that word if, to let a word, but it's conditional. So again, our relationship with the Lord is not conditional. It's free. We don't have to earn, we don't have to do anything to earn it. Jesus did everything for us. Right? But that sanctification process required us to to submit. It requires us to obey. Not only his word, but the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah chapter 7. And I got to read this one. I don't have it. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. <clears throat> we good? All right. Jeremiah chapter 7, beginning at verse 21. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers, or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this is what I commanded them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but followed the counsels and dictates of, the, of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. Verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Verse 26. Yet they did not obey me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. All right. So let's go back up to verse 21. Because I know this may go over some of our heads because it did mine initially. All right. So thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. So in other words, what he's saying is it your sacrifices, your burnt offering, add them to your food and you eat them because I don't want them. <laughs> he goes on and says this. I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings. Or he's saying I didn't ask for any offerings from them. I didn't ask for any sacrifice from them. I just asked for obedience. So let me break it down to you. Let me make it plain. If you're not obedient and you're not walking in God, keep your tithes, 
Keep your offering because you're wasting it. You're doing it in vain, just like Israel was doing it in vain here. So they were sacrificing to the Lord, but because they did not obey, and they were worse than their fathers, it meant nothing. It was in vain. Because that's not what God required from them. See, we focusing on their sacrifices, all we required was their obedience. That's the same thing He required from us. So again, and most pastors are not going to tell you this. Because we get these lavish buildings, and we overspend, we get these extra offices, and now we need people to put into it, and nope, give your offerings, give your time. Nope, I'm telling you, if you're living in sin, keep it, because you're wasting the time. You, you, you're wasting it. That's what God is saying here. Right? So what, and then, watch this. So we had all these people doing the prosperity movement, living any kind of way, going up, giving offerings, going up, putting money on the offer, and God ain't answering, acknowledging none of that. That's right. Come on, Pastor. So what are we teaching? And see, again, that's going to stunt the sanctification process. And then they wonder why they struggle and sin so much. Because they're not getting the word. And some of them may be getting the word, but they're not adhering it to it. Right? This is why I say, we, when we come in here, we take notes. We got to go back and we got to look at them. Or go back and look at the YouTube, whatever. Right? Because now we got YouTube, so it's easier. Right? But it, it's important. So even the notes that I took for the first three years when I got saved, guess what? I still go back and look at them. Why? Because that set my foundation. Everybody did not get that foundation I got. We got. And I'll say that. And I done served up under quite a few pastors and put them all together. They were nowhere near him. That's how good he was. And guess what? We don't agree with everything doctrinally, but nothing has to do with heaven or hell. But there's some pastors I served up, I just can't listen to them. Just like the one I mentioned last week. He said something. I watched it, and I'm like, huh? Because what he said was, <laughs> and I was bothered by it. My wife would tell you I was bothered by it. Because what he said was, as Christians, we should not be sick. Because Jesus wasn't sick. First of all, sickness comes because of sin. Jesus was not bound by sin. That's right. So, that, again, that is theologically inaccurate. But guess what? He never went to school. So then you wonder why he's off and somewhere else and he'll speak a long time maybe give you one or two scriptures but that's it. And I'm still bothered by it. I'm still bothered by what he said. Because it's theologically inaccurate. That's not scriptural. Right? And then they all discount the apostle Paul who was sick. Right. <laughs> and it's like, Huh? What are you talking about? But again, that's ignorance of the word. So now you have ignorance of the word and he's giving that ignorance to somebody else. A whole congregation of people. And I'm sure everybody didn't agree with it. But now what happens to brother, sister, and so-and-so that gets sick? Now, how do you come back? And what does James say? If there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church. So, how can we say anybody born again believer say Christians are not supposed to be sick? What are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. What are we talking about? 
And I contemplated on having them come. That ain't happening. <laughs> Man, that, that won't happen now. <laughs> Amen. All right. Uh, so, he talked about they didn't obey the, the, the voices of the prophets. Because God did what? He sent his prophets to them. Right? Each time he sent his prophets, but they did what they wanted to do. So, again, God is saying his fivefold ministry to the church. Some are going to do what they want to do. Right? But then they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. So, I'll, I'll get ready to close out here. Um, let, let me read a, a couple more scriptures. Uh, Leviticus 20, 26. You don't have to turn it. I'm going to read it. But Leviticus 20, verse 26. And you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. So he was separating Israel. Right? So he was separating them from the Malachites and everybody else. Why? Because they were doing things that God was not pleased with. Right now, if any of those people wanted to repent and, and follow Israel, he welcomed them. He didn't say, no, no, he would welcome them. Right? But Israel, instead of looking at God's way, they kept looking at everybody else. And that's what we as Christians do sometimes too. When we're trying to do right, we look at the Christian that's doing wrong and say, oh, well, if it's all right for them to do it, I can do it. Right? If it's all right for the praise and worship leader to, to live with somebody, right? <laughs> and still get up and sing, then I can do it. That's why Paul said to that so-called brother, put him out. Right? Put him out. And y'all heard me tell you that. Churches are not going to do that today. Number one, they can go right across the street. Right? And, and that church is going to welcome them in. But there's a reason why Paul said that. So the congregation don't get messed up. Right? And then also, that person don't think that, hey, it's all right for me to do this and still get into heaven. Because Paul says later in that chapter, those who practice these things will not inherit. Right? Did I read 1 Peter? No, I didn't. 1 Peter 1, verse 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. So God is calling us to be holy. Again, this is a part of that sanctification process. And we don't have to do it out of our own will because we can't do it out of our own will. That's why Israel failed, right? But he's given us on this side of the cross the Holy Spirit so we have an advantage, right? So we have God on the inside of us, right? So how can we as Christians say we struggle so much? There, there, there's something missing. That means we're not submitting. We don't have a will. Or we don't understand the word. Right? Because ultimately, and, and this is why I used to get in trouble in the churches with. As Christians, we should not be struggling. We should not be struggling. Doesn't mean we may not go through things. Right? We may have tough time at work. We may have tough time at home. We may have tough time with our spouses. That's okay. But it should not be a struggle for us to stop sinning. That means we're not surrendering to the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. So now when somebody says do the miss, we're thinking, OK, that's the gift of the spirit. No, stop. Don't tell me do the miss, but yet you still sinning because you're not operating the doing this power. And again, we don't we don't have to point the finger. Right. 
And I know I'm sounding like I'm doing that, but we don't have to point the finger. But we need to educate these Christians, right? And that's why I said we do a disservice to new believers. We just leave them hanging. Or we may say, well, just go find a church or whatever. No, sometimes we may have to take them under our wing, right? So I know a brother in Christ, and I think I shared it a while back. He, he gave his heart to the Lord, and then he was, the guy ended up becoming his mentor. He says, hold on, I don't want you to find a church yet. I want you to come here, and we're going to do a one-on-one Bible study all the time. He said, because you have a gentle spirit, and I don't want somebody to corrupt you. And that's what he did. He, 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 he would have him come over to his house, and he started discipling him. And guess what? This brother today is kingdom-minded, even though he's not in a kingdom-minded church. See, why? Because that foundation was established. Now, if he said, just go find a church, whatever, where were you? You know, he may have found the wrong place. And then now he don't have that foundation. Right? So I thank God for the church that he placed me in. Right? Because that gave me the foundation. Everybody, like I said before, everybody didn't get the foundation that we got. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean that they're not saved. But they may struggle in some areas where we didn't struggle. Right? But again, everybody that was in that church, guess what? Like I said before, they were still slipping up. Right? And then when I mentioned to the, to the, the pastor, and then he found out we, we, you know, we started a church, and then we were on a conference call, then his wife said, yeah, y'all, y'all never gave us no problem. Y'all weren't good people. They never gave us a problem. Why? Because <laughs> we had a will, we stuck to the word, <laughs> right? And we submitted to the Holy Spirit. Did it mean that we didn't argue? No, we argued at times. Because we're not going to be perfect, right? And that's okay. But again, <laughs> we didn't struggle like other people, right? And they, 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 we all know Christians that are struggling, right? So now we got to draw, we, we sometimes we got to draw them a lifeline. Throw them a lifeline, not draw them. Throw them a lifeline, right? Because they might not—they—they they, they might be somewhere. They're saying, "Hey, it's okay. Keep doing what you're doing, because Jesus loves you. Yes, He does. But He doesn't want you struggling like that. He don't want you bound to drug addiction like that, because you don't have to be, right? So I hear—I've heard former drug addicts that God said and said, "Well, you don't understand the struggle." Well, guess what? You don't understand the freedom. You don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me I don't understand the struggle. You're right. I never did drugs. But I did the power of the Holy Ghost. I did the do to miss power. So when he set me free from alcohol, he can set you free from drugs. Amen. He can set you free from lust. Where I was bound in lust, guess what? He set me free. Amen. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It wasn't something that, oh, I did out of my own purpose. No, I just submitted to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Alright, one more scripture. <laughs> uh, Leviticus 20 uh, verses 7 and 8 says, Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am the Lord your God and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So this is what he was telling Israel. He says, look, I'm the one that sanctifies you. How do I sanctify you? By, keep, by you keeping my statutes. Right? And you performing them. You basically doing what I tell you to do. Now, see, here's the thing. 
We have Christians that look at the Old Testament and say, oh man, that must have been hard. Here's the thing. As a Holy Spirit filled believer, I look at the Old Testament and say, I was like, man, that's easy. I can do that. Why? Because it's not my strength doing it. Right? Because I have the Holy Spirit. So, guess what? If we love Him, His commandments are not burdensome. Amen. So now, if they're burdensome on it, something's wrong. One of the three is missing. One of the three is missing. And again, doesn't mean we're not saved, but it means we're going to struggle. And that's what He doesn't want. We have to have all three. Amen? Amen. All right, we'll stop there. <laughs> hey, man, let's bow our heads.
Yes. Thank you. Thank you for a sound. Thank you. Hallelujah. And Lord God, I just thank you for obedience, Father God. Lord God, not obedience to me, but obedience to you, Father God. In the name of Jesus, Father God. So continue to help us to walk that narrow path, O Heavenly Father God. Help us to not veer to the left nor to the right, Father God. But help us to keep our eyes focused upon Christ, Lord God. The protector, Father God, of our faith, Lord God. Thank you, Father God, for strengthening us, Father God, physically, spiritually, and mentally, Lord God. In the name of Jesus Christ, we do pray. Amen. Thank you, Hallelujah. I really didn't tell you. Thank you. I really didn't know how this was gonna come out. So hopefully y'all got some. Amen. 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 So we're gonna continue along this theme, you know, sanctification coming up, and we're gonna jump into some New Testament scriptures. Amen. And um, you know, Lord show me some things in this. Can't swim. <laughs> that current is going to pull you, push you. Yeah. 